Sir Valper and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is our managing editor, Dave Cameron. And in what follows, we discuss, well, first of all, Josh Hamilton, and not just Josh Hamilton, but how, with an offensive approach that most closely resembles Delman Young's, how Josh Hamilton is somehow able to also be the best hitter in the major leagues. From there, we look at the team for which Josh Hamilton plays, Texas Rangers, and specifically their place atop this week's iteration of SI.com's Power Rankings, which Power Rankings are, of course, fueled by Fangraph's War. Cameron explains a slight modification that has been made to the way team defense is evaluated in those power rankings. That conversation sure to delight and amaze many of our listeners. And finally, also in this episode of the podcast, we discussed the Tampa Bay Rays sabermetric broadcast from this past Sunday, a broadcast which featured Tampa Bay Rays outfielder and noted nerd Sam Fold in the Sun Sports television booth as Cameron what he would look for himself in a sabermetric broadcast. That's some of what this episode has to offer. There's much more than that, so please, if you would be so kind, stay tuned to this conversation with managing editor Dave Cameron on this episode of Fangraphs Audio. Because I know it's your favorite thing to talk about, but uh, uh, but I figure we could, we could talk about um, Josh Hamilton because there's a lot to yeah. talk about, and you wrote a you wrote a post about him for today, and it's interesting because or what is interesting about it is that Josh Hamilton has an approach that should not work. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, like basically if you go through. Uh, the plate discipline staff on Fangraphs. You, it's really hard to tell Josh Hamilton from Delwyn Young. <laughs> I mean, their swing rates are pretty similar. Their the rate of pitches they chase out of the zone are pretty similar. Uh, from a numbers perspective, at least in plate discipline and choosing which pitches to swing at, uh, Josh Hamilton and Delman Young fairly similar. Uh, results not not so much. Right. Well, the I I mean the thing is with Josh Hamilton, the, the way I was sort of like thinking about it in my head, it's sort of it's like. When you play, like, maybe baseball or wiffle ball with your friend, like, when you're younger, and then your friend's older brother plays. Right. Like, he's just, physic, like, more physically capable than other people who are playing the game and possesses, I guess, some combination of hand-eye coordination and and strength that other people don't have. Is that a possibility? Well, so I think that there's some, certainly some aspect of physical gift that Hamilton has. I don't know that it's hand-eye coordination. I mean, I think we could make that case for Vladimir Guerrero or Nomar Garcia-Para or one of these, you know, aggressive hack hitters who made contact on pitches that it didn't look possible, or, you know, would hit line drives on pitches that would bounce and, you know, just had really crazy ability to hit the ball hard no matter where it was thrown. Uh, Josh Hamilton's not like that. Josh Hamilton swings and misses. It pitches way out of the strike zone, and then it doesn't matter because he hits the next one out of the park anyway. So it's not that Hamilton is showing off this crazy good hand-eye coordination where he's putting the bat on the ball no matter where they throw it. He's just swinging at everything, and he's swinging and missing an awful lot. <laughs> but then when he does hit it, it goes really, really far. Is there anything, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, 
But is there anything because essentially it's a, it becomes a question of physics, it seems, right? Yeah. Whatever he's doing, it is generating somehow I don't know more vo- more velocity, more loft on the ball than other players are really capable of producing, at least with that frequency. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no question that what Hamilton has been able to do is maximize his results on contact. So when he swings and actually hits the ball, he's hitting it harder than likely anyone else. We don't have the hit effects data, we can't say for sure, um, but it's pretty likely that Josh Hamilton, his, uh, the velocity of the ball coming off the bat and the angle of the ball coming off the bat makes it very unlikely that it's going to be caught. So when he puts the bat on the ball, amazing things are happening. He just doesn't put the bat on the ball very often. And usually that combination doesn't result in this kind of production. I mean, not usually. It never has resulted in this kind of production. We've never seen anything like this. At least, it, um, I guess at least as long as we've had the data. Is that right? Yeah, right. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure back in like the 1970s, something like this was possible. Um, but with pitch effects data, so back really to 2008 is the first year you'd probably want to use it for something like this. Uh, there is 2007 data, but it wasn't installed in every stadium and calibrated perfectly. Um, so over the last five years, you know, we've seen aggressive contact hitters, and we've seen aggressive non-contact hitters, but we've never seen an aggressive non-contact hitter be this good. Right, and and this goes back, um, and I think we may, maybe even had conversations about Hamilton two years ago uh, with, with regard to what then turned out to be an MVP season. Um, he had a BABIP, I think, in the 370s, maybe maybe even higher than that. Like 390, I think. 390, okay. And and I remember asking you then, um, you know, what what do we know about Josh Hamilton? What does this tell us? Because we know basically that BABIP, is sort of true talent range, typically falls in between 250, 350, some, something like that. Yeah. Um, and and I said, you know, what is, you know, do we expect his BABIP to regress um, next year? And you said, well. You know, you, you sort, and I think that you you would still you still believe this. You said, while generally, over a large population or for a single player over a large sample, you know, we, we will see uh, we will see uh, Babip, for example, go down to you know something above 350. But plate appearance to plate appearance, week to week, even there are probably ep, uh, stretches where players are. If only for a short time, maybe they are a, a true talent 400 Babbitt hitter. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, we certainly can't quantify or find uh, ways to predict when a hitter is going to go on one of these stretches, but I don't think there's any doubt that uh, hitters do do stuff like this, and whether it's random variation or, um, you know, some kind of uh, mechanical adjustment that doesn't isn't sustainable. So maybe Josh Hamilton is doing something that he can't keep doing but what he's doing is causing him to get a lot of hits on balls in play, that's certainly possible. And it's, I think it's something that we have to uh, acknowledge that is outside of the realm of what we can measure right now. Um, but I think we can also say that, you know, some guys certainly hit the ball much harder than other players. And Josh Hamilton is, uh, for the last couple of months, hitting the ball in a way that's uh, producing fantastic results, while at the same time not hitting the ball <laughs> With the same regularity as you know, like Mark Reynolds, which is uh, kind of hilarious. Now, you mentioned at the end of your post, you sort of make reference to the game tonight between between the Rangers and the Mariners, and, and in particular uh, with regard to Hector Nowisi and what he ought to throw Josh Hamilton. Uh, 
you know, you looked at the pitch FX data from Hamilton versus Felix Hernandez. I, I don't think maybe even a third of Hernandez's pitches to Hamilton were even were in the zone. Yeah, at, at two this, of two of thirteen. Okay, right, right. At this point, how how does a pitcher approach Josh Hamilton? If you're throwing every pitch out of the zone and he's still hitting the ball, I do you just I mean, is he better off in being intentionally walked? Well, I mean, we should note that last night Josh Hamilton went 0 for 4, two strikeouts and two ground outs. So what Felix Hernandez did work. Uh, not everyone is Felix Hernandez. Not everyone can throw what Felix Hernandez can throw. But I do think at this point the onus should be on Josh Hamilton to make the adjustment. If I'm a major league pitcher, I probably wouldn't throw a pitch within six inches of the strike zone until he gets into a 3-0 count. I mean, if he's going to uh, swing with the frequency that he's swinging now and swing at pitches outside the strike zone, you know, 40, 45% of the time, I don't think there's really much of a point of throwing one over the plate. Like, I would throw pitches uh, is several inches outside. I mean, if you look at his uh, heat, heat map, that's really the, the predominance of the pitches he chases are outside. He doesn't swing at that many pitches inside. Uh, it's really pitches away. He will lunge at and try and put his bat on the ball. Uh, I think you just stay away from Josh Hamilton and stay way off the plate and force him to get you into a hitter's count. And then, you know, if he does, maybe you put him on at that point. But I, I think at this point, uh, you just, you know, pitch him away, pitch him away, pitch him away. And if it gets to 3 and 0, then you just put him on and say, okay, well, he's made an adjustment. But until he makes that adjustment, I don't see why you ever throw Josh Hamilton on a strike. All right. Well, Josh Hamilton obviously is having a fantastic season. And I think we could say, uh, he, you know, at this point, he's a very, we'll say very early favorite to be AL MVP. Um, uh, his team, the Texas Rangers, uh, this week, Cameron, they reclaimed the top spot in um, the SI.com power rankings, which are fueled fueled by Fangraph's war. Um, but this week, with a slight change regarding how defense is calculated. And I know, Cameron, I know that your favorite thing to talk about is the intricacies of the power rankings that we provide to SI.com. Um, and I know that our audience... Uh, believes um, is excited by this conversation and it also believes these power rankings to be infallible. Uh, well, that's really the goal, as we were trying to release on stone tablets the Ten Commandments of baseball. <laughs> uh, right. So, so can you can we talk about this though? Because it, it seemed as though um, between UZR, especially you know, we know UZR has value. We also know that that value comes from a pretty large sample. Um, what and So we've switched. What, what was the switch that was made in terms of how defense is being measured? Yeah, so, I mean, people might not love to hear this, but the reason we switched fielding metrics really doesn't have anything to do with UZR's reliability or sample size. Um, so I think if you look at the, the ratings that were done the first five weeks, the one big incongruous uh, part of the rankings was uh, there were several teams, most notably the Toronto Blue Jays, who had mediocre, uh, you know, ultimate zone ratings. Uh, I think were, yeah, the Blue Jays were like negative three last week or something. But their team uh, hits on balls in play allowed was extremely low. I think it was the Blue Jays was like 255 or something. So uh, only 25% of their balls in play were going for hits. They were making a lot of outs uh, when their pitchers gave up contact that didn't go over the fence. Uh, but UVR wasn't 
that impressed by their defensive play. So UVR was either suggesting that there was weak contact where there was a fairly easy play for the defender, um, or more likely, or potentially a combination of the two, but uh, the Blue Jays were shifting in such a way that they were putting their defenders in positions to make plays on balls in play where there wasn't a normal defensive alignment, and because UVR was created to measure individual defensive talent, it does not take shifts into account. It basically, any play where a shift has been tagged as being occurred, UVR just throws that away and doesn't, uh, basically assumes the play didn't happen. So if a team shifts a lot and gets a lot of outs on balls in play, they're not going to get any credit for that in UVR, and they're obviously going to get credit for that in actual in-game run prevention. So uh, we realized that you know there was a uh, an issue here that it, you know UVR wasn't measuring uh, fielding at the team level in the way we want to measure fielding in the team level. Um, so we've made a switch and have basically done a run save based on a team's batting average and balls in play adjusted for park, um, so that a team like the Rockies won't get destroyed. But the fact that their bat at this home is so high. Um, so we're basically just now saying, instead of trying to uh, evaluate team defense through UVR, we're essentially looking at it from a um, Babbitt standpoint. So, it, you know, the Blue Jays have prevented a lot of hits on balls in play. Maybe that was the pitchers. Maybe that was their defenders. We don't really know. Um, but for this purposes, we don't really care either. We're not trying to segment out credit between pitcher and fielder for why uh, it was turned into an out. We just care that it was. And so now that the... Uh, adjustments been made, a team like the Blue Jays, which have gotten a lot of outs and balls in play, are getting credit for those runs saved, um, and it's going to better reflect their overall run prevention, in addition to FIP, which is, you know, the pitching war baseline, uh, was already counting walks, strikeouts, and home runs. Now that we're doing the batting average and balls in play at the team level, we're essentially counting all outs uh, overall between those two metrics. And you, you say this is something that we can adjust for... I mean, what can we adjust for? League, park, not not pitcher you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, we're not trying to do anything to separate out credit. So essentially we're just looking at it and saying, you know, the Blue Jays had this many balls in play, or really every team, but I'm just using the Blue Jays as the example, had this many balls in play, they had this many outs. Uh, so this ratio of outs to balls in play uh, represents, you know, this net difference. So we they've saved 30 outs or whatever the number would be. So we give them the run value of the outs saved, and then we take those outs that would have turned into hits, uh, and we use the linear weight value of the proportion of what those hits would have been. So, you know, of those 30 hits, you know, 20 would have been singles, 7 would have been doubles, and 3 would have been triples, or whatever the correct proportions are. Uh, we take the run values of those plays, and those run values were saved as well because they were turned into outs. And then the total of those two is uh, the run saved total. So essentially, if a team saves 30 hits, you know, I think the average is about 0.8 runs per hit saved. Um, so a team would get 25 runs credit, 24, 25 runs. And that's essentially how we're doing team defense now instead of UVR, which helps make up for shifts and, you know, the, the things that UVR doesn't capture perfectly. Uh, and, and this was uh, courtesy at some level, I think, uh, Tango Tiger. Is that right at the Inside the Book blog? Uh, well, sort of. So, you know, Appleman and Tango and I uh, trade emails from time to time, and this is one of the things that, you know, ever since we debuted the power rankings, there's obviously been some criticisms of the methodology. We've never said they were perfect. Uh, we're always interested in making them better. Um, so we approached Tom and said, hey, look, you know, do you have any suggestions? He threw out some ideas. Uh, I suggested doing it this way. He said he was uh, in agreement that this is a better way of doing it, so we made a change. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's, it's interesting 
Now, a question uh, briefly, and again, I, I, um, I know this is your favorite thing to talk about, so we, we can go on all, all podcast. Uh, um, is this something that we would see at the site? Is this something – I mean, is this just as simple, really, as, as looking at uh, park-adjusted BABIP? Would, would that give us an idea? Uh, yeah, so I mean, it is very similar to like a park, a park adjusted defensive efficiency, just translated into run saves. So, um, that's essentially what we're subbing in as the defensive component for the power rankings. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of thing showed up on the site eventually. Um, you know, it's not something that we built, uh, for specific, um, uh, purposes like rolling out as this is a new great way to evaluate team defense. I think in general, uh, UZR does a decent job. The preponderance of shifts this year has, you know, created something of an issue since UZR doesn't capture shift data. Um, so, you know, it's something that we'll have to look at going forward. Um, but I think, you know, if we can uh, work out some tests that show that this is a good way of uh, evaluating team defense, then uh, it's something we'll put on the site. I will say, though, you know, with the power rankings, uh, they're essentially designed to recreate what has happened so far. So they really aren't designed to have any kind of predictive value, which is most of what Fangraph stats are all about, is predicting the future and kind of showing the underlying true talent. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, has caused some uh, negativity about the power rankings in general is, you know, I think people expect that if Fangraph publishes something, it's going to be forward-looking, and these aren't at all forward-looking. These power rankings are entirely backward-looking. Uh, they only measure what has happened. There's no regression. There's no true talent aspect to them whatsoever, um, so, you know, whether we want to roll out something on the site that is mostly backward-looking and not predictive, uh, or at least, you know, looking at things that would be more predictive than past results, uh, we'll have to look at. A lot of issues a lot of issues there, Cameron, that you have to deal with as editor, yeah. as the managing editor of Fangraphs. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, this is just, these are just the stat issues. I have to deal with people like you. No, that's right. Uh, interpersonal relationships... Uh, not really, um, not really the strength of any baseball nerd, and uh, having to manage right, having to manage people like me, uh, um, uh, Dane Perry, of course, and uh, Eno. Well, Eno. Th- th- thankfully, I can let Dane just hang out in your yeah. uh, world, and like he doesn't exist in mine. Yeah, that's that's probably smart. Uh, but you, of course, you have to manage people like Eno Saris, who, um, um, for all intents, we don't even know if he knows uh, what he's doing most of the time. I'm pretty sure we know he does. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he is I, someone... I, I really mad about all of the people on staff. Except <laughs> for Bill Petty. That guy's pretty sharp. Yeah, Bill, yeah, right. Bill is, yeah, Bill is good. Uh, he, he was yeah. a good friend. Uh, wait, just as, a, as an aside, because this involves actually both the Rangers and a team that you follow was um, pretty closely, the Seattle Mariners. Uh, this was uh, covered by, you know, to some degree on knockgrafts. What was the deal uh, last night between Adrian Beltre and Felix Hernandez. They had an ongoing and incredibly animated um, conversation, but also with lo- lots of gestures going on. Is this, this <laughs> yeah. is, were, were they good friends when Beltre played on the team? Yeah, so Beltre was like a father for their figure to Felix when he came up as a rookie. Uh, they are really, really close. And so every time the Mariners, the Rangers play, they have this 
a little game going on where uh, Felix says he's going to strike him out every time and Beltre says he's going to hit a home run every time, and they trash talk each other before the game, during the game, after the game. They just never stop. And uh, so last night, Adrian Beltre hit one of the strangest singles you'll ever see, where he basically pulled his bat into his stomach and hit a ball that almost hit the ground and rolled it between the third base and shortstop hole. Uh, but Felix also got him out a couple times, including like a long fly ball out to center and uh, so Felix started gesturing, and Beltre needs to get stronger, so he could hit the ball over the wall, and then he started making fun of his swing for the for the little base hit to the left side. It was uh, all quite entertaining. It was actually going on. It was mostly captured in the eighth inning, but it was going on the entire game. Every time they'd face each other, uh, they'd be jawing at each other and making gestures, and um, it's definitely a friendly kind of thing, and uh, I don't know that any player in baseball is involved in more of these little weird uh, personal things than Adrian Beltre. He's also got the, the head-rubbing gif, which I think... Uh, you know, if you haven't seen, is one of the greatest rubbing, the greatest thing ever of watching pe- people uh, rub Adrian Belcher's head and ha- have him uh, try and kill them. He, you know, had the glare of death at Elvis Andrus the other day. Yes, that was, like Adrian Belcher is just maybe the most fun person in baseball. Yeah, that, yes, because the, the amazing thing about that, I, I did catch that the other day, where uh, where Andrus was calling for a ball that was, you know, it, it, was, it was sort of in a territory where. Uh, it's ambiguous, I guess. In some cases, you'll see a shortstop uh, pick up this ball, this this kind of pop fly behind third base, um, and then other times, you know, especially if the third baseman's more athletic, he can probably get there. Um, but Elvis, Andrews appeared to call for the ball and go over there purely to annoy Adrian Beltre. Right. I think Adrian Beltre like likes to win, but more than anything else, he's out there to have fun, and he's going to have fun on the field. He's not going to take the game too seriously. Uh, he's going to swing at pitches that come from the dirt. He's going to hit home runs with his knees. He's going to swat at his teammates while he's trying to catch infield flies. And he's going to taunt his opponents if he, uh, you know, uh, attempts to hit home runs off them. Uh, you know, mostly if they're friends of his. Not Probably not just every pitcher in general. But uh, Beltre seems to be a guy who's just uh, generally interested in uh, enjoying life. And it's, uh, you know, having watched him for five years in Seattle when he wasn't performing up to what people expected offensively and you know, he wasn't necessarily a fan favorite for the first few years there. As you know, the contract was kind of considered to be an albatross, even while he performed fairly well. Um, you know, Altrey was never a guy who uh, you could not enjoy watching. He was really one of my favorite players to ever watch play baseball, and I know the guys in Texas love him. And uh, it just seems like Adrian Beltre should go in the likable Hall of Fame. Yeah, and he again, like yeah, right. You noted you noted also the home runs off of the knee. Uh, yeah. He he seems to be right. He seems to be a person who really enjoys the game, and also, um, it, it, I guess it's it you know it helps that he's very good, but he's a, he's a showman yeah. as well at some level. Yeah, absolutely. I think Beltre knows that uh, you know his antics are probably enjoyed by many, and I don't think he's doing it for that sake. I don't think Adrian Beltre is swinging at pitches in the dirt so that he can show off for the crowd. Uh, but I, he doesn't downplay any of it either, and so you know his uh, little personal uh, quirks. Uh, make him that much more interesting, and the fact that he's, you know, one of the best third basemen in baseball, you know, certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah, he made uh, he made a play the other day. I, I mean, I know he's really great at at uh, coming in on balls, but he uh, yeah. there was a, maybe a bunt down the third baseline that he just uh, he just he's like he just gets on the ball so quickly. He he's a shortstop playing third base. I mean, I really like. I think if Adrian Beltre was you know, 10 pounds lighter, a little bit skinnier, and less of a hitter, there's no question he would play shortstop. The only reason he was moved to third base is because he has a slightly thicker lower half than you normally see from a guy who's 5'11 or 6 feet tall. 
But Adrian Beltre has all the physical actions of a shortstop. He could be a gold glove shortstop, most likely. Uh, he's so good at third base because he's basically playing out of position. And so, um, you know, when you take an elite defensive talent and you stick him in a position like third base, uh, amazing things happen. Do, do you think? Do you think that if the if the Rangers needed him to, that they could slide him over to short base for or to, yeah, to shortstop? Absolutely. The Mariners did it a couple times. Uh, it wasn't something that they, you know, did regularly. But he played shortstop a couple times during his time in Seattle. Um, and you know, I think. At this point in his career, he's gotten so good at the nuances of third base, like charging the bunt. There's no reason to move him to shortstop permanently. Um, he'd probably have less value there than he would at third, um, simply through due to experience and, you know, obviously turning the double play and something that he's done a lot of. Um, but I think, you know, if you needed him to, Adrian Beltran has all the range in the world to play shortstop and play it really well. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you're right. He's definitely a lot of fun to watch. I, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind watching him get a couple of innings. Of course, uh, the, the Rangers also already have shortstop options, I guess, right? I mean, they they have Jerks and yeah. Profar coming up now too. Who? Yeah, uh, right. I mean, the, the Rangers are not running low in talented shortstop. And I think that's one of the interesting things is how little notoriety Elvis Andrus is getting this year. He's got a 400 on base percentage. He's been the Rangers' second best hitter. Uh, you know, Josh Hamilton's obviously been amazing, but Elvis Andrus is an extremely valuable player. Is going really under the radar. Yeah, yeah. The the whole Rangers team is kind of dumb at this point. Yeah. You know, the other funny thing about the Rangers, they're 9-11 and 11 in May. So, like, I mean, we all agree that the Texas Rangers are the best team in baseball. Um, you know, they're one of the better teams we've seen in recent history, and they're really struggling. They have the same record in May as the Mariners do. So, like, in April, Buster Olney was openly questioning whether we've ever seen a team this good, uh, you know, and comparing them to the 1998 Yankees. And since that conversation started, they're below 500. So what does that mean? What are you trying to prove, Cameron? Uh, that baseball is weird. Oh, are, you, are you suggesting that you can't predict baseball? Uh, yes, the, the uh, you can't predict ball Twitter feed should be all over this podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, before you before you go, I wanted to ask you about um, um, what's well, I guess two part question. A, uh, well we'll start here. If you if you saw any of the Tampa Bay Rays Saber broadcast from the other day, I didn't watch any of it live. I've seen clips of it, and you know I saw the post on Not Grass that highlighted some of the things they showed, but I didn't watch any of the game. As it happened. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> the use of Comic Sans font, notwithstanding, uh, just from what you saw from those from those screenshots, it, it, is that of, of interest to you? Uh, the the use of, of some of those stats, especially uh, that that last screenshot, which which says courtesy Fangraphs.com. I don't know how that appealed to you. Yeah. No. I mean, I think it's great that the teams are starting to educate their fan bases more. Obviously, I think for teams like the Rays, it's kind of in their best interest to explain to the casual fan why they're doing things that they're doing. So if you have, you know, announcers that are constantly wondering, like, you know, why did this team acquire Ben Zobrist? He's terrible. He's only hitting 205. But then you give Ben Zobrist a three-year, $20 million contract extension. You probably want your fans to know that Ben Zobrist isn't terrible because he's hitting 205. He's actually drawing a lot of walks and hitting for power and playing good defense in multiple positions. So it's kind of in your best interest to educate the fans. And I think, you know, getting back to Adrian Beltre a second ago, if the Mariners broadcast during his time in Seattle had done more to educate the fans, uh, you know, on his defensive prowess and how good he was and park factors for right-handed hitters in Safeco Field, perhaps Adrian Beltre wouldn't have been viewed with so much derision as fans would have realized he was actually a pretty decent player uh, during his time in Seattle, even if he wasn't hitting 48 home runs anymore. So, you know, I think that for uh, for teams that there's an incentive to um, kind of make their fans understand the game a little bit better, especially when they're making decisions based on this kind of stuff. And it's great to see that, you know, broadcasters aren't going to be scared of it and just, you know, criticize the nerds and bringing in Sam Fold as a player to talk about it. 
uh, obviously gives it some legitimacy. So um, it's really nice to see teams kind of going out of their way to uh, popularize smart thinking. What would be for you be, now? And, and I've seen um, I've seen a couple smart radio now. So I know Jim Powell, who does the radio for the Atlanta Braves. Um, on his Twitter feed, for example, he'll cite he'll cite XFIP. You don't necessarily hear that from him on the broadcast, and it's and he gives a reason that's similar to the reason we've heard from Book Shambi before. Um, yep. When we when we had a Fangraphs event in New York City, for example, we had Book Shambi there. Awesome guy, very well acquainted with um, a lot of the advanced metrics, but at the same time recognizes that he's dealing with a, a, a pretty large swath of people. Um, and people who enjoy the game in different ways, and some of whom, you know, might be a little bit antagonistic to some of the the new numbers. Um, with that in mind, for you, what is sort of what would be an ideal broadcast as far as integration of advanced stats? Is it is it the stats themselves? Is it the concepts? What would you like to see? What do you think is reasonable? Yeah, it's definitely not the stats. I mean, I don't. The numbers don't matter. Uh, you know, whether you, someone uses FIP, XFIP, whatever, the actual number they're quoting is irrelevant. And, the, you know, like, obviously we like it when people quote our stats. It's good for fangraphs, and we, we thank them for it. But the concept is absolutely what we're trying to promote, and that's really the thing that we would like to see people grasp, is, you know, understanding that uh, a base hit is not the, necessarily the fault of the pitcher. So if he throws a really good pitch and some guy has a broken bat blooper that falls in between three batters, uh, the pitcher didn't do anything wrong. And so, you know, that concept you can get across without ever mentioning BABIP or XIP or any of those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I think that if a broadcaster can understand the concepts and grasp them and turn them into an English language, uh, you know, way of explaining them to the casual fan, that's way better than trying to get them to buy into new numbers. And so, you know, I would much rather see uh, a broadcaster spend five minutes explaining the theory and the um, – evidence behind some of these theories uh, without ever mentioning a number, then I would have a broadcast, you know, run Fangraphs leaderboards as a graphic. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's, that's the case. I mean, we've, you know, and I think we've definitely seen more examples of that where it seems to be, um, or, well, I don't know, or maybe we're just more aware of them, but, um, but, but announcers or broadcasters who seem to be aware of the concepts and, and appear to be uh, pretty good at integrating them into their broadcasts. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt that the popularity of uh, this line of thinking has grown. And, you know, it used to be kind of a niche thing where you'd have a few teams who were kind of into it. But now, you know, every team in baseball is affected by uh, statistical analysis in some way. And, uh, you know, this is becoming more of a mainstream thing. And so, I, you know, I think this is going to become a more regular deal where we see broadcasters who are into this kind of thing and players who are into this kind of thing and teams who are into this kind of thing, and they're going to try and, you know, educate as many people as they can. Uh, you know, also during that Rays broadcast, it, it compelled me to go look at uh, the leaderboards uh, for war, for uh, batter war since uh, 2009, I guess it was. Or I, I was just curious about Ben Zobris because they, they mentioned Zobris a number of times. And even though I know he's really good, I was still very surprised to see that Zobris, I think, is like the fourth or fifth ranked player by war since 2009. Yeah. I mean, we had that one year a couple years ago where he had a plus 28 UVR, which obviously helped him. And, you know, you could say it's almost certainly not his true talent level. So, um, you know, there's definitely a few years in there that are probably outliers. Uh, you know, the, the equivalent of a pitcher posting like a 180 batting average and balls and play over a full season or something. Um, 
also, I don't think anyone thinks Zobris is a top five player in Major League Baseball, uh, but he's really, really fantastic. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, hopefully we can continue to point out is that, you know, ordinal ranking isn't so important. I don't really care if Ben Zobris is the third best player or the seventh best player or the eleventh best player in baseball. The idea is that Ben Zobrist is good. And war, I think, helps illuminate that fact to people who might not understand it. All right. Hey, listen, uh, Dave Cameron, it was a, a pleasure talking to you once again after a, uh, a fortnight, a fortnight away from the podcast. Um, but to, to have your silly little voice uh, telling us all about baseball. Well, from uh, a person who doesn't exactly sound like Vin Scully, that's a high compliment. <laughs> I do have a bit of a whiny voice, yeah. Yeah, my aunt. Yeah, it, it goes really well with your personality. Oh, that's what I like to see, Dave Cameron. Yeah, my aunt the other day was saying uh, that I should apply for some some announcing job. With the, I don't think there is really an opening, but she said you should be the announcer because this is what this is what family does. You should do this thing that you yeah. don't really you're not really qualified for, and right. uh, we think that you should do it though. Uh, because it would amuse us. Uh, yeah, she said that. I said, Did you, have you ever heard my voice before? It's not people don't like to listen to it. It's a uh, silly listen. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think really you have the voice made for a writer. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost it's it's not sweet what you said, but it's maybe the sweetest thing you've said about. <laughs> it's about probably his. the sweetest possible thing I will ever say to you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right, well, th- thank you, Dave Cameron. Uh, I'll invite you to uh, stick around momentarily uh, for some adult conversation. Uh, in the meantime, though, that has been Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been uh, Dave Cameron's weekly appearance on Fangraphs Audio. Fangraphs Audio.